revision.io. Right, so let's start this. Um, so welcome to this uh, roundtable, uh, or fishbowl, <laughs> what I should say. So to start with, uh, just to explain the, the format here, not sure if you've been to a fishbowl before, but um, it works like that. So we have an outer circle and an inner circle. Um, everybody is invited to talk, although only from the inner circle. So uh, we'll just wait until people make their point and then you can move back and forth from the inner and the outer circle. So we'll, we'll start with this constellation uh, for a few minutes. Like I'll give an introductory introduction to crypto economics. Then we'll um, get this round discussion started here and then you're invited to just join to the middle. Cool. All right. So what I wanted to talk to do with you guys today um, is basically so crypto economics and um, kind of it, the, the whole thing is titled, titled designing the function of currency. And that comes down to um, the fact that now we have this opportunity to design a new system that comes with a whole range of applications. So first things first. Um, Crypto economics is being defined by Vlad Samfir as uh, both a formal discipline and a practical science uh, that has roots in cryptography, economics, and other fields. And Vlad Samfir, for those who don't know, he's a researcher for the Ethereum Foundation. And so what he says is that crypto economics is a formal discipline that studies protocols that govern the production, distribution, consumption of goods and services in a decentralized digital economy. Crypto economics is a practical science that focuses on the design and the characterization of these protocols. So I think what really matters here is not only that the economy is digital, but also that it's decentralized and it's intended to be decentralized. So, and that is the where the challenge comes in. So um, as you know, I mean, um, what's the general knowledge here? Like. Um, Familiarity with blockchain, maybe raise your hands. Okay. Um, token design and crypto economics in particular. Okay, good. So I think all of us, we know that what blockchain is and some of us know what crypto economics is. So that's a good foundation to start. If you have, if there's a serious lack of um, knowledge, please, please do let us all know. Um, so let's dive into the topic of mechanism design and crypto economics. So when you look at normal currencies like, that are prevalent today, these are designed by central authorities like the Fed or ECB, right? And for designing cryptocurrency and token systems, we have a much broader solution space. And um, kind of that not only is the solution space space of designing the system much vaster, but also is the process of designing these systems quite decentralized and there's no centralized decision-making procedure, for example. So this makes the whole design process to start with quite complex. And then, of course, we get to the uh, uh, peculiarities of the design itself. So in many, in many use cases, a token comes with a reward, reward mechanism, which kind of implements an incentive function. And that is being implemented in code that's I mean, the blockchain characteristics is transparent, tamper-proof, and, and, and so forth. So the incentive function and reward mechanism here open up a range of opportunities, of course. For example, designing a more inclusive and more people-centric system, but also their risk attached, of course. So for example, a naive design may lead to unintended consequences, which are then hard to fix due to its decentralized governance. So yeah, broadly speaking. So let me come to another point I'd like to introduce, which is Campbell's law. And so Campbell is stating that, quote, the more any quantitative social indicator is used for social decision making, the more subject it will be to corruption pressures and the more apt it will be to distort and corrupt the social processes it is intended to monitor. So it is kind of describing how taking a quantitative measure to check for a desired outcome may distort the actual desired outcome. And of course, this is rel relevant to crypto economics, Welcome. where we have a lot of on-chain governance, a lot of measures that are being implemented, but then we 
should not forget about its original intention and the purpose behind it. So the questions I'd like to start this round with is um, how, how is crypto economics framed in social, political and philosophical purposes and um, how are these purposes then modeled through crypto economics? So if you look at the current practice, is it sustainable? Is it comprehensive enough to design uh, incentive mechanisms that are actually fulfilling the purpose we originally worked? And um, then, of course, the question is also, what is the actual purpose? So maybe let, let us start with this question. What, is the, what are the fundamental values we want to implement with uh, incentive design that is based on crypto economies? I will start by making... And maybe introduce yourself first. Okay, I'm Jem. Uh, with Daniel, we do research and advisory on distributed governance. And um, yeah, in the context of the question you're asking, what do I want to see in the kind of uh, future direction of incentive design? Um, is that I would like incentive design to be democratized. I would like incentive design to be brought from the protocol level to... Uh, individuals actually maintaining the incentives or creating the incentives themselves. So I think a big problem, uh, so this type of um, idea is something we also have in distributed governance where we try to uh, promote granularity so that the surface of experimentation is uh, larger and the failures don't lead to catastrophic uh, outcomes uh, of, for the ecosystem. So like you have learning transfers across nodes and, uh, nodes and all. Uh, so I think a similar thing should be implemented for uh, incentive design where uh, kind of, I, I'm really not sure how technically this will come about, but uh, I think incentive design should also be democratized and that's where, like that's the future that I'm, uh, much more lenient towards where Campbell's law can be mitigated because there is no one uh, kind of golden scripture which defines the configuration of the incentives, but uh, it's like a surface created by organically by the participants. I would like to go one step back and uh, I'm Tim. Uh, I'm working also on distributed governance in a very practical way as we start or support uh, building movements in that direction. Um, so, so coming back to incentive design, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, what is incentive design for us or what are incentives for us? And usually we are incentivized in uh, token economics by gaining something, right? Gaining monetary value or gaining a token which we can use to uh, uh, get something else. So I think when we ask the question of uh, which values you want to embody into incentive design, we really need to ask ourselves the question first, what are the values we share and what are the values we want to have in our society and how can incentive design help with that? And I think that is not an easy question because if you look at the crypto projects we have out there today, they often don't even ask the question for purpose or don't even ask the question, you know, like what are the shared values we want to optimize for? And if you go into token economic design, you need to create an optimization function. You optimize towards, right? And then we think about paperclip maximizers. We know that optimization functions can go in a totally wrong direction. And that we create systems which might be autonomous. We create systems which are, say, creating self-fulfilling prophecies, which are becoming so strong in their own incentives that we have situations like Bitcoin eating the energy resources of our planet. And, and I think this is a serious like uh, question we need to ask ourselves. Do we want to build independent autonomous systems with strong incentive design, which potentially lead to catastrophic outcome? And there is only one way to tackle that problem, which is conscious decisions not to support those systems or not to use those systems while building alternatives which are better. Um, but yeah, so, so from my perspective, we need to speak about purpose, about values, about how we uh, interact with those systems and what the systems are for. They should serve us from my point of view, and we should speak more about the moral implications about using specific systems. Hi, I'm Yalda. Uh, building a space agency or something like that. Um, <laughs> so, I guess, as far as space goes, I, I'm very fascinated by Star Trek, so maybe the incentive 
design mechanism that I'm most interested in is building a system that can become obsolete, that you don't need crypto economics to survive. <laughs> so we should think of this as a bridge to get to the other side, which is something like a post-scarce future or um, so things like that. So as far as like how you get there, it's like, okay, well, what, what do we need money for anyway to pay rent? pay for food uh, we hear a lot about you know automation and AI and how this is gonna remove all these jobs so I think that um, with these blockchain ecosystems that are built uh, we need to start to get ahead of the giants that do control the AI uh, technology and that are developing it you know like the data um, and you have to get ahead of the system and then you have to figure out a way to distribute that well then uh, that just kind of needs to be in the kind of uh, the trajectory of the incentive design mechanism, I think. Yeah, I like the the idea of the replicators and zero marginal cost and stuff. But yeah, so I'm Danny. As Jim said, we're doing research in centralized governance and notably on uh, Pando. And yeah, so looking at crypto economics, I feel like it has uh, served well as a description, like the word just simply, you know, bridging crypto and economics and building these cryptographic primitives. And it's also born out of a kind of a descriptive empirical observation of the crypto networks such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. But uh, there is some criticism leveled against it, which is very similar to that, which was uh, pushed against classical, let's say, or neoclassical economics 10, 15 years ago which is that you cannot reduce uh, every subject to a homo economicos or perfectly rational being. And so I feel that as it came from a kind of description, empirical description, but we've kind of built these cryptographic primitives that are still unproven. If you talk about TCRs or, yeah, that's better, or curved bonding and whatnot. So we need, in a way, an empirical cryptoeconomics that can map these preferences as you say so we don't fall into some sociological positivism and we create disasters so i don't know for example there's this very concrete uh, experience of like you lose or you win 30 percent of your portfolio in one day it's not the same experience as if it was somebody normal in the stock market so if you want to go from crypto economics to a crypto economy we must map that utility and kind of build our systems around uh, real facts What do you think about like speaking about something more specific as we are very abstract right now and uh, maybe to propose a direction. Um, the reason why I went into the blockchain space was I saw what Facebook is doing with the surveillance capitalism. I saw what Amazon and Google is doing and asked myself the question, can we use blockchain technologies to build like community owned, community governed infrastructure and how can we decentralize those, those services? So maybe that's a that's a angle we can use to have a more specific discussion about like incentives and how we can use incentives and how we can uh, yeah include purpose and and values in there uh, to have a specific debate. Yeah, I'd love to have that discussion now, and also would touch on a related issue. I'd like to propose to discuss is kind of this idea of we have these problems today: platform monopolism and, and data silos, and kind of. Um, business models that kind of are kind of an incentive function that have misaligned incentives or not necessarily aligned incentives for users. So all this comes down to um, we have problems. Um, let's take the example of data silos and um, platforms. Um, and then we, we look for solutions. And, and we've been talking for, about blockchain for 10 years now. And there's been a lot of things happening. but. Um, did we get to a point where we maybe need to get, take a step back and see what are, what's, what's blockchain actually capable of solving here and what not? So if looking at this specific example of, of platforms and data silos, um, to what extent can we now, as of 10 years later, say that, that yeah, like these systems, Web3, is capable of solving and what not? No, actually... There was something that just came to my mind as he was speaking, and it had to do with, um, like, yeah, how do we uh, start to take take back ownership of um, 
of our data, of our infrastructure. And actually, like, one idea as far as how cryptocurrency can do that, and this is, is probably not uh, something that would be accepted by everyone, but where the block reward just goes to a community fund instead of individuals and then you just use that money to buy land build structures and it's just like i mean it's, it's kind of like you're building a communist system in some ways <laughs> i would love to all elaborate on that i mean you guys from distributed governance perspective right if we think about post-nation state we think about like platforms and platforms which have their values. When we think about Ethereum, we have seen like forks based on values, Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. And we will probably see that in the future as well. We see currently the hash wars in, in uh, like Bitcoin, which are pretty much like value wars, right? So, so I, I think that is a very interesting um, question to ask. Can we use blockchains as post nation states, organizational forms for society? which have a, like their values incorporated and where we use transaction fees, so to say, to uh, also taxate machines, right, which interact with each other. For me, it's like a beautiful way to do that because the machines will use smart contracts to interact with each other and exchange value. And, uh, but, we, but we need to start then asking the question again, how do we like form constitutions and how do we form policies and incentives design based on that? So I think the first step there is how do we signal sentiment in groups so that we can actually crowdsource those those values somehow but it's a very interesting angle i hope we can com continue on that yeah i mean i i guess to go from platform capitalism to uh, decentralized network capitalism uh, how these people or entities got in power in the first place is leveraging kind of the externalities that we create through the network effect without compensating people for it and crypto is good because you can inscribe directly into the code, as you said, like or the block reward uh, to reward the person and that externality and share it through a comments, for example. But even making like sophisticated technical systems, it still remains a political decision on the part of the people and people have to be kind of like crypto economics has to be transparent. They don't have to be a crypto economics professor, you know, expert or something like that to make a political decision because then you're just re-centralizing power. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the DAO wars of 2022. Yeah, I would like the DAOs to be small or like th that's the point. Like I think the such system could uh, work and prosper, but it has to be compartmentalized. So, but that's the, that's the tricky part because uh, blockchain, block rewards going to a fund, then you need each DAO to be fed by a block, uh, kind of block discovery system and that's, uh, that would like one blockchain, one DAO is just too big and it's going to have too high stakes problem. I, I think um, the resolution for that problem is thinking about multi-layered solutions. If we think about Ethereum, it's a, like a carrier level. We want to have basic values being embodied, but we don't want to have too much governance. We don't want to have too clearly defined governance processes because they will be prone to capture. I mean, capture to like governments or other corporations which try to control the platform. So having the carrier level, we will see the shards arising, right? And with the shards, we will have smaller systems which potentially are separated by geographically zones or we will have them separate by specific values. So every uh, shard can have their additional values and can derive with policies in those shards which might be more flexible to react to changing environments, which have their own taxation on their internal transactions, and which can use those resources in distributed bounty systems to fund projects in their shards. And then we could, um, next level, we have the DAOs, as we have organizations living in the jurisdiction in, 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 in Germany, for example, which live in the jurisdiction of the, of the shard, and they have their own additional values and their own policies again. So with that, we create like the, like the uh, compartmentalization we need uh, on each level. Uh, I, I truly believe that this is like a potential path to go, but they all depend on this scalable, uh, permissionless global blockchain. And if this is captured or if we are not successful with creating like a more scalable solution there, everything falls apart. 
And there's another perspective, which is if you speak with legal and policymakers from uh, uh, the nation state perspective, how do you like connect to those organizations, um, to the DAOs? How do you integrate DAO APIs and the try of them how to like enforce policies on existing DAOs? That's an interesting direction. So we come from the top from the permissionless blockchain and we come from the bottom from the existing nation states which want to connect somehow to this new world. Also the mentality is like there, there needs to be a paradigm shift in terms of uh, the mindset of thinking and uh, how autonomy is absorbed and so on. Hader? Um, so I'm Hadar. Um, I lead the development of uh, the Good Dollar project. It's a project for um, crypto universal basic income. I want to put a word on uh, what's missing from uh, crypto economics. And I think it's the same thing that's missing in our current economic uh, system. I mean, from my point of view, I think incentive design, and I think it's a solved problem. The The problem is it's not unsolved. Uh, what, it's what some economists call the unearned income. And currency also has unearned income. Okay, so the people in the, the, the crypto economic system, they are doing all the transactions and ones though that, that behave, they earn more. But they also earn from the rising value of the currency, um, which is not because uh, they did any uh, useful work. They just earn it because more people uh, use the system. And it's the same thing with the, with land, the rising value of the land. It's not because some entrepreneur, uh, built the building. It's because the, all of the community around it that's doing useful and uh, good things. And it's the same thing with the, with our production, uh, system. Um, for example, uh, patents. Patents is not, uh, the effort of one individual. It's based on the whole, um, knowledge of humanity which it doesn't pay anything uh, for it. So it all comes down to how you distribute again uh, the unearned uh, income. And I think that in crypto economics, it's quite easy to do that. You simply um, create more currencies, simply mint more coins and you distribute it uh, to everyone. Um, but then you would have to solve first the identity problem, but that's probably a different uh, panel. I just want to go super fast on the last thing about, you know, infinite inflation or mining of currency. In a way, you're saying you don't want to, you want to reward the people who worked before that, that I agree with. But on the second part, every time you're going to mint more currency, this means that people who already worked have to work more to, you know, because the value of their money is always going down. So instead of creating less work, you're creating like more demand for work, which I mean, it could be, you know, but it's a, it's a political discussion if you want more work or less work. Uh, just speaking about like money, I think uh, in the blockchain space, we saw that interesting idea. We can democratize, everybody can print money and then you get money for it. I think that is a um, phenomenon which will not come back after the ICO hype died. And we are currently in a dying phase for it. Um, so I think it's not working that way. We can't just print money and expect it, it to capture value. There are way more dependencies on that. Uh, but I think what money is, from my point of view, um, is like a mean of exchange for like value. And it becomes highly valuable for society as an economic factor when it's like, uh, when it's in a good flow. Like when all the money is in circulation and you have a way that you can trust the currency. Uh, so, so there are mechanism designs which we, I think, did not really actively explore so far in the crypto space. And I mean something like negative taxation, for example. Then you have no interest in to hold those coins right or we we speak about token bonding curves to enable uh like uh, other other dynamics in the market so that coin holders which are whales are incentivized to sell by coin holders which have like less are incentivized to to buy and cheap so that we create like uh, a wealth distribution which is more equal which allows us then again to spend more money which creates like more fluctuation in the system therefore more economic uh exchange of value so, so i i think those things they they we have a huge field where we can do more exploration about those things. Yeah, so maybe let's dive into this a little bit deeper. I find that really interesting, like the um, how you mint coins and how you uh, keep the system running, kind of the, the let's say the business model of, of this all, and also how the user 
uh, is plays a part in that. So, in coming back to the example of platforms, social media today, of course it's free, and there's like a side business attached that you pay with with your data. So, assuming we want to, our purpose is to eliminate that side use, or maybe to let let's say not let's don't say eliminate, but let's say make it um, um, governed by by the users then there may not necessarily be as much income from advertising revenue and data analytics as we have today. So chances are there will be more demand for income uh, from other sources. Potentially the user has to pay for certain things. So assuming that we needed this shift of financing of these platforms, how do we make this work that is compatible with our values? So coming back to Tim, what you said, um, token bonding curves, and uh, negative taxation, two things. Also, I think the radical markets idea is kind of relevant to this discussion. So what are you guys' thoughts on potential solutions to make a decentralized system still financially viable without minting endless coins, perhaps, or without, I mean, making the block reward function work, perhaps? So any thoughts on this? I mean, I think we have to think of them as roads or highways. Like, what's the business model behind that? It is public infrastructure, and I think that is just going to be the direction of these systems. There's no other way to trust them unless you know there isn't this other motive behind it that has to do with, like, selling you things. Um, so I think that's going to be the shift, especially as you know, people from our generation or the next generation uh, go take office uh, around the world. It's like we've grown up under this surveillance system and I don't think that we'll live with it that much longer. <laughs> I think a, a big problem with the commons analogy is that um, commons don't have first movers usually and like in crypto networks, like the first movers, like the uh, inherent incentive of the capitalistic system which is like providing liquidity at an early stage it just creates too much of a discrepancy or distribution of the value holders so I think that's a major problem that needs to be addressed and once that thing is tangled it's very hard to untangle it so it has to be a design from uh, the initial stage with that configuration if you look at the models which work, which were not ERC-20 minting contracts, because we have barely seen some working. So we had like Bitcoin, which has the proof of work, which is also connected to you mint coins while you add value to the system. It becomes way more complicated if you think about like governance models or space agencies or anything else where we have introduced problems of human agency through missing identities, through like Oracle problems. How do we measure work? How do we measure adding value? How do we compensate adding value? So this is very, very complicated and we don't really understand at the current state how we can like resolve those issues because say the complexity explodes into our faces, right? So if we think about, uh, we have two models, minting ERC-20 tokens. If you have a trustworthy third party like the Ethereum Foundation, it might go very well like with selling those and then having proof of work to continue minting tokens. But I think we need really to explore more how we can mint tokens in a process where we add value to the system and then we don't need to do ICOs. So I give in a very specific example. If I'm, for example, having, a, a, say, say, an app where I do micro tasks and I resolve micro tasks, I might be paid for resolving micro tasks and then I get like a small coin for that. And that's a minting process. Um, that's a different way of like buying a token, and I think we we should think more about uh, how we can like create tokens in a system which is self-balancing um, uh, uh, through through value added to that system. One thing that I wish Ethereum would do is they give uh, part of the gas to the DApp developer. I think that's if maybe it was like 50% of the gas, then it's like there's a business model. Like if you get people to use your network, here's a revenue stream, and then you can just organically grow it. So I think that that's the solution, and that's what Ethereum should eventually fork to. Um, so just a second, there's a remark in the back. Do you want to, there's one, do you want to come into the round or just pose a quick comment? 
I have um, a quick remark. Hi, uh, my name is Clem. I also do some research in the field. Um, I have a quick comment regarding the gas, gas thing that you're, you're pointing out right now. And I have a question for the panel. Uh, what do you think of the concept of uh, economic abstractability when it comes to Ethereum? So as you might have heard recently, there was uh, this discussion Vitalik had on Reddit where essentially someone was um, raising out, uh, was pointing out to the fact that there is no hard-coded reason right now for miners to only accept ETH as a means of payment, as gas, and that essentially any ERC-20 um, token could be uh, used as a reward function for mining the blocks. Uh, this is a basic uh, crypto economics mistake. Huh? Um, what do you think of that and how how is that that people have not started exploiting that that sort of breach and that gap that there is in that in that model? If you are familiar with the problem, well, it is a problem, and I think one of the reasons why they want to move to proof of stake is actually to have the money be in a way a store of value and a means of exchange, and not just like a network access token. Because as you said, you can use an ever token to access this Ethereum infrastructure. But like, yeah, I would also like to come back to the point about like the use of tokens. There was an interesting discussion that uh, Yalda started actually on the Aragon forum yesterday about like people not uh, basically using their governance tokens to vote. And I feel like this is kind of the same problem as in, you know, classical capitalism. You got $10 billion now, why you didn't put $10 billion back into the market? You don't need to, you know, sleep on those uh, billions. And so usually when you have an economic token, people just hoard them and don't necessarily use them. And so it might be useful to go to a more reputation-based system or kind of where you have a decay of those tokens if you do not perform action for the community, even though it can be dangerous. But, yeah. And maybe adding some on the scale, we had the N-token voting, right, from Aragon. We had 46 voting parties out of like 10,000. So that's, a, that's the scale we are speaking about. So another comment from there, and then we can take your... Just a quick comment on the, the reputation part. Um, Ogre is like a good example of like why reputation sort of failed um, in, in these networks. If you see the adoption of the rep token um, as the idea of having these oracles um, building up reputation on their validation of uh, these events, uh, there's been no adoption at all. And like that dual, dual token system has been a failure, uh, in my opinion. Just Their token is called reputation, but it's not reputation in the sense of governance because I don't think that they have actually had voting for rep holders so I think that's a bit different than having a governance based on reputation which usually is based on participation in the system. Um, reputation for, for Augur it's like you need to purchase it to be the oracle but the reputation in DAOs is usually you earn it by participating in the system it's not something you purchase so that's a little bit different. Yeah, maybe some, uh, well, this is Eugen uh, from Amatus. Um, maybe some ideas and comments. One to the uh, mining earlier. Um, I think one of the, um, maybe you guys spoke about it already, but the heart experiment in, in Israel where they generated, I think, 20 million through exactly this mechanism um, over over the course of one or two years. Um is 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 super interesting i think it's the right way to distribute um value in coins um in in this experiments they, they did it through the, the niche of mothers and every time you would bake a cake or watch someone else's child it would generate some hearts and you could the heart was packed to a dollar and they generated like 20 million with that but it's, it's a small experiment but it shows that there's there you can generate and often in the, most of the time in when you have an economic crisis it's not that there is no more food but it's no more there's no more money right so uh, this 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 could be quite interesting and then for the point of inflation earlier that was mentioned um, I really liked the idea of Andy from coinlist who was at the last uh, revision um, or the, the precursor of revision uh, who really wanted to introduce the idea of a Goods basket, so it's it's you pack not anymore to a currency, but to kind of a purchasing power. Um, yeah, uh, and then finally, uh, um, it's all about liquidity. I guess a currency is only as 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 
really becomes a currency if you can use it for as many things as possible. Yeah. Really quick as well to do a quick comment on um, the introduction um, of this uh, conversation that, that occurred uh, on how currency and cryptocurrencies differ and how these um, crypto economics differ from standard economics. I think that um, one thing that we sometimes miss or we don't think about enough is law enforcement in a sense that if if dollar has value is also because there's military power that backs it. Um, and that's, yeah, that's it, right? Like we just, we have to accept the dollar because we have guns spouting at our heads that like, you know, telling us just accept it or die. I, I think when we speak about enforceability, uh, it's very important to mention that we don't have enforceability or we have enforceability in the blockchain space because the Ethereum community could decide to code fork and the miners could execute that fork, which pretty much puts them into legislation execution of the legislation. Um, uh, if we don't have uh, like uh, juridical enforceability uh, from uh, the blockchain space itself, we will run into a lot of problems. So I, I agree that we need to like find ways to self-govern uh, the blockchain space. If we don't do that, we create a power asymmetry between like um, minorities which want to exploit the system for power advantages because they are unstoppable. Um, and, and a lot of like uh, people which will suffer under it. Um, but short question, we run, I think, out of time, right? 10, Ten more minutes? Okay, all right. So um, I, I think if we speak about like coins and the ability of coins capturing additional context, that's great because we can create those like hard tokens and so on. In the moment we exchange them, to other coins, we lose that context. With losing that context, we create the same problem we have today, that we like missing the context if there was shade labor like included in the working process when I get money, or uh, if there was like external costs which were not like considered in the process. So like the harm which is created is abstracted through the money. If we want to create a different society, we need to ensure that this is not happening anymore. The power of the coins we have is adding this context. The power of blockchain is to add, like, keep that context visible for everybody. So I, I think it's all the small coins which we can mint through, like, specific processes, um, which can add value to society in the way the, this gentleman described it over there. And I hope we can see more of these specific use cases to incentivize yeah, caring behavior, helping behavior, right? Incentivize people to step up for things which we would consider not work in the normal sense. But um, like f f free carrying society, how <laughs> value add? I don't know what you might have in mind for, for, for that. So we have two more comments, and uh, feel free to move into the circle or just pose a question. Hi, um, just one question about the whole idea of being democratic. I mean, one of the great things about uh, blockchain is that we can create as many digital communities as, as we want. So. I think the problem is if you integrate too many parties into one community, they will never align on something that everyone feels good about it. But there is still this chance that I say, okay, if this is not the right community, um, I don't add value to it. I leave it. I go to a community which I align more with. So I think this, this whole idea of um, aligning all participants on one opinion is absolutely overstated because if you see it like in the real world, uh, I mean, if uh, the US elects uh, uh, a president that I don't like, I mean, I have to leave my home country if, if I don't want to live under these policies. But in a crypto world, in a crypto economic world, I can program, I can say um, I'm leaving this crypto community and move to, a, to another one and stay in the same place. And, and so I think um, in, in general, what I realize, I mean, I understand economics a lot, but this discussion is very complex and has com very complex points. So I, I think what you say, participation or even understanding what it's about is not possible in a, in a democratic process where everyone can participate. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think in today's um, definition, crypto definition of uh, what a community is, we think of crypto networks, so like Bitcoin community, Ethereum community or Ripple community or something. Uh, and I think in the future we will have the chance to update that definition by the emergence of DAOs for, because DAOs will be able to accommodate smaller groups with uh, 
increased levels of uh, alignment. So without actually going into coercive or, you know, like uh, lose your stake or lose your time committed and so on kind of definitions. But also coming back to what you said, I think um, the problem is not law enforcement because we have kind of law enforcement by code also in the decentralized networks, but it's coercion. It's non non opt-in system. So uh, uh, the dollar that we use is uh, we we have no other option than to use that. So it's uh, uh, if we think of economic systems as kind of these bubbles that uh, you know you can move in and out, the the bubble that they have created, the legacy bubble that they have created, which is the system, the global monetary system, it's uh, not the bubble that you can uh, get out of. But like with these systems, you can always opt out. So I think it's inherently uh, closer to my values. I, I, I like the idea you proposed with having the option to opt out of a crypto economic system. I think it is a little bit romantic at the moment because uh, we have the situation. If we imagine like a fully developed blockchain solution, which provides services to its citizens with digital identities, with coins which are distributed, which you can convert to like, live in a society, you're directly interfering with state affairs. So you're, you're taking over the role of the state in the new like blockchain, like, like society, a structure you create there with like, I say state similar structures, which like adding, adding services to like the community members while having like some form of value distribution. This is state affairs, right? So, so we create a lot of friction in society because all of those different tribes in the crypto community will have their own values. And then you live next to your neighbor, which thinks something totally different, fundamentally different than you. So I, I believe as this is the right direction to go to like create the small communities, I think about like cities would be created as similar, you know, like existing models. We still have the need for having the cohesion on a global level to have a like sustainable and stable society. And this, this just requires a fundamental subset of values we can agree on. But if this is missing, we are missing the inter, like the communication layer, which gives us the ability to synchronize and create cohesion. Just one, maybe, yeah, I agree also with what you say. There has to be some central um, yeah, coordination. But the, the great thing about uh, cryptocurrencies is that it gives us the opportunity to create money, which actually has a um, ethical value. For example, I could create easily a, a community where I say people add value and we align on a minimum wage or a maximum wage or basic income or whatever. And now if I want to do trade with other community, I, I can transparently see what their value is. And if I don't like it, I can just say, okay, I would like to buy it, but I don't like this community and I don't, I, I don't accept their means of payment. So maybe they, they support child labor or don't have a minimum wage. I say, okay, I don't do trade with you. And this is the great thing. If I do trade with a dollar, with a euro, it doesn't have any, any um, a moral value behind it. I don't know what, what's, what's behind there. So there is no common idea in, in programmed into dollar um, okay, and, and uh, euro. Yeah. That's kind of a stupid answer, but then some people would then tell you, you don't know what people uh, buy Bitcoin for, what, what people use Bitcoin for, right? So you still have, yeah, that's a stupid answer, like from me, but yeah. That pseudonymity thing, you know, like you still just trying to play the devil's advocate here, but like obviously you're making good points, but yeah. We, we can like include context, but usually we don't. If you think about Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, we still have the ab abstraction of context for currencies, right? And especially if we like think about anonymous payment systems like Dash or you know, Monero and so on, it's fully abstracted. And this, this creates like a psychopathic behavior of detachment between like where money is coming from and what does it morally and ethically mean for us we can't judge that anymore because we don't have those informations and can't make a decision if we want to accept it or not accept it because you're just missing it i think that's a that's a yeah fundamental point um i want to address the point that you made about the community i guess community currencies that's what you're talking about right so it's a very uh, it's a very nice idea but 
Um, first of all, we are living in a more and more global world. And money, I, and I, I advocate completely that uh, communities and for, alternat for alternative currencies to exist, but we have to accept the fact that money is, um, you know, it's a language and, and it's, a measuring, it's a measuring tool. And it's like um, a standard, right? So all over the world we have standards for different things because we need to be able to communicate. And we also need to be able to communicate um, about the nature of uh, value. So eventually there will be a monopoly of, uh, of one currency that's uh, agreed upon most of, uh, most of humanity. And you can't hold a lot of uh, currencies in your wallet. As a, human, you, as a human being, you're not able to process your wallet if you have so many uh, currencies. You would have something that would do it uh, automatically for you. So I believe that eventually there will be uh, one currency, maybe a, maybe a few, but then the, argue, then the discussion should be, or the debate, what's the nature of these uh, currencies, who controls them, and what's their mechanism design. Um, so with five minutes to go, I'd like to invite uh, you guys to some closing round notes. Okay, some direct answers, yeah. I think this fits in the classical economic sense, what like uh, money tends to try and dominate by the fungibility feature or something. But uh, when it comes to programmable money, I would uh, diverge from your prediction. I think there will be uh, also this humans cannot process so many different currencies and all the, like humans won't need to process it. It's, we won't have a physical wallet. The exchanges will be done in. Uh, granular ways, uh, things like atomic swaps, for example, maybe we can talk a little bit about. Yeah, and just one quick comment as well, is that I do not think that the world is more and more globalized, and I actually do think that the world is being more and more fragmented between different communities and tribes, and that this is where exactly uh, this cryptocurrency, crypto economic system can fit and serve needs of people who assess value also differently uh, within different groups. Yeah, I think crypto economics can actually uh, try and save the world from globalization actually like we have to yes. steer away from i can only add to that I, I believe in a pluralistic world where we have like all the different communities where everybody like can have the life they want by still having that global inter exchange layer i think that there is a strong dependency the one thing can't exist without the other but i strongly believe in subsidiary systems it means like having the maximum freedom on the level you know which is possible but still having the ability to coordinate on existential risks on a global level because if we fail on that and we go back to like having a lot of small communities which don't care about that we fail as well right i may, maybe just because we are going into the closing round um i i think if we think about incentive design we need to think about why are we speaking about incentive design in the first place and we do that because we redesign the systems, how we organize as humans, how we organize nations, how we organize organizations, how we think about economics. So it's, it's a time where we reinvent the way how we organize society. And when we do that, we need, from my point of view, from engineering standpoint of view, we need to start with the requirements. And the requirements are we need to have the global layer on the one side and we, have, we want to have freedom on the other side. We have existential risks on the one side, but we have like personal and individual needs on the other side. And what is like the purpose the society should be driven by? What are the purposes which unite us as a, like, uh, you know, like a, as a blockchain movement, right? Those questions are the first questions to answer and think about. And then we go the next step and then we think about, okay, how, how do we design those systems? How can we iterate on those systems? Where can we try those systems? Um, and I think uh, going away from the capitalistic greedy approach is a fundamentally important step towards changing society because I think the real change in society comes from including the empathic uh, side of our human beings, not only the analytic part, but also about like, what is the moral and the ethics? Why do I care? What, what, what do I feel to like, you know, compassion, trust to other people? How do I want to live with them? And not design around like greedy, uh, from my point of view, to decrease sick uh, side uh, trends of, of humanity, which like over accelerate capitalism, right? So I hope we can find a way there. Yeah, that's a beautiful closing remark. Would you like to add something, Yada, with you? Just one thing. I think the original uh, prompt was had was related to 
Like, how do we make sure we don't just become cogs in the machine in, in some sense? And and I think bounty systems are, are a big part of probably a lot of this thought. Um, and I think maybe if we start to think of bounty systems potentially as uh, apprenticeships, like universities, if we think of it as that, as instead of it should just be a temporary thing. We need to, like, a bounty system should not be how we envision to sustain people that are participating participating in the system. You have to design it in such a way that from a bounty you move to more of a consistent revenue source. So think of it as university. So um, that's, just, that's just one final thought that didn't really get a chance to say, but I was thinking about. This is kind of what I was referring to when I was talking about uh, democratizing incentives. So I, I was thinking of bounties 2.0, where maybe it's not uh, putting 400 coins uh, for this accomplishment of this task, but you can actually create curves and, uh, you know, like uh, adjust participation by uh, reward and so on. Yeah, um, and as for me, um, I would see the future of incentive design going in the radical markets idea. Um, yeah, I think we need to be, I think that there needs to be a philosophical choice that needs to be done uh, at some point. Um, just because if we do want to get rid of the greed, um, there, there needs to be radical action taken. Um, and um, these are in direct contradiction of what makes the exact basis of what crypto economics currently are. That's it. Great, great. So I, th I feel like we started this round with a lot of questions. We leave this round with even more questions. But I think that's a good thing because we are still discussing fundamental issues here. Tim, you mentioned going back to requirements rather than talking about design and opening like how to sustain people on a per temporary, permanent basis and all that very important thoughts. And um, yeah, I'd like to thank you all for participating in the inner and the outer circle, everybody. So yeah, and keep this conversation going.